0: What's going on? With, like, this, uh, this season's so jam-packed with good things, which really great storytelling that they're able to fit so much in here without ever feeling bloated or overwhelming. Uh, but it is moving fast. Welcome back, Basement Binge listeners, to another Mando Mini My name is Harrison, your host here. Again, this is The Basement Binge. Mando Mini, your weekly Mandalorian review episode. These have been a ton of fun. You know, a lot of reactions to them. You guys are enjoying them. I'm enjoying making them. I'm enjoying The Mandalorian. So let's get jump right into it again. Uh, This is probably the soonest I've ever gotten one of these episodes out just because it's very late at night, about midnight. I'm working on this. But I want to get these out to you, especially this episode that yeah. Anyway, okay. Spoiler free, spoiler wall, spoiler free reaction to the episode. Just some f- fun details. And if you've been listening to these episodes consistently, if you've been watching The Mandalorian, it's a repeat of the same formula. This season is all about planet hopping one to another, expanding the Star Wars lore, tying in previous Star Wars lore into this exciting and fun, and really adventurous season. I'm having a great time. It's just Star Wars at its finest. Um, This episode is directed by Carl Weathers, who plays the character uh, Grief Cargus, who's great. He did a wonderful job directing it. It was tense. There was great action. The story was fun. There was intrigue, and mystery, and Star Wars-esque, and villainy, it was, it was just great. On top of that, this is my favorite Mandalorian episode out of both seasons, by far. The pacing and the action was incredible. The story and the lore was even better. And we have the best dogfight in all of Star Wars in this episode. I'm not going to tell you who it's between, but it is something to look forward to when you watch this episode. Baby Yoda's still cute. Din is still a boss and he's still, it's still a very Mandalorian episode. It was a ton of fun. I'm not going to say anything else. There's a lot of really, really exciting things that happen in this episode. That's all you get in Spoiler Wall. It's very, very brief. These are Mano Minis. Let's move right along to uh, Two Cents here. So, Two Cents, what this is, is this very similar to the Spoiler Wall. This is just spoilers. are free now spoilers are they're coming uh just my reaction to the film and let me say for two cents i was right last episode when i hypothesized that he was that then the mandalorian was going to go back to navarro he was going to get um cara dune he was going to get grief cargus they were going to have a ton of fun it was going to be a good reunion and then he was going to head on his way um to find ahsoka on corvus that's exactly what happened. Well, well kind of. I wasn't 100% right. He does go back to Navarro. He does get to be with his old buddies, Cara Dune, Grief, Cargus, and have a great, really, really fun episode. We have the best dogfight that I already mentioned between Mando in his ship, the Razorcrest, and those two TIE fighters. <laughs> that was so well done. The spinning and the flips and just... Oh, some of the... That, by far, that's the best dogfight I've seen in Star Wars in my memory. It's amazing. And Din is an amazing pilot, actually. He's he's a phenomenal, phenomenal pilot. Other great things about this episode is the child. He's just adorable. Everything he does in this, from you know, fixing wires with that silent comedy coming back to stealing people's cookies, throwing up like a baby, it's just a fun, great time. It's also fun to see how else the universe in Star Wars, what we've explored in The Mandalorian, is continuing on, how Cara Dune is the Marshal of Navarro and she, how she's really cleaned it up. And it's totally different now, how her and Cara Weathers... Well, sorry, not Cara Weathers, but her and Grief Karga are really trying to change Navarro, what it is that it can be an outpost here in the Outer Rim of trade and positive things and economy and, and trying to overcome the downfall of the empire and the new republic and how that all changes. And it's interesting to see, the, again, this, this part, this time in the universe, we've been exploring this gray time in the universe as I described it, and how it's affecting other people and, and being able to peer into those lives a little bit. is great. I also mentioned the action. Oh, it was so good when he, they're storming that, um, the base and, and the hallway fights and the corridors, Star Wars loves its corridors, and I love the corridors in this episode. Phenomenal. The lore expansion and connection, things like cloning and and force sensitivity, midichlorians even. Uh, We'll get them all into those things and binge points, but mystery, villainy, just like deep evil commitment to the Empire. It's just Star Wars being Star Wars, and I'm having the time of my life. And I think it's really interesting to explore how Star Wars throughout the history of Star Wars has people who are committed to this evil empire, this evil force, this evil organization. And then you have people who are just kind of decent people just living their life who have to rise up and be the heroes to overcome this. They're the ones who become the rebel force. And that's what it's just Star Wars. It, and, I love that. And I didn't even realize that until I was writing it. But it, it, I think that's really what this series and what the story of Din is really becoming. So let's get into binge points here. First one, got to point out, there's an IG-11 statue in the background on Navarro. When they're walking into the old Katina, I think it's when they go into the thing that's now a school. A school, excuse me. IG-11, he's like stacked up. It looks like it's made of parts. It could have been from when he exploded, and sacrificed himself great episode. I've been hoping that he was going to come back in some way, that Taika Waititi would. I don't think he's going to be directing any episode, um, but I was hoping this whole time. I just don't think it's going to happen, especially after seeing that statue, which is totally unnecessary, but I love how they added it in there. And, you know, I was last episode, I was talking a little bit about the directors and specifically how there isn't one yet assigned on IMDb for Chapter 14 and Chapter 16. Still not there. I've checked. So other things is it's fun that we get to see the Mithral come back from the very, like the star of Mandalorian. That guy's back and it was fun and he's a dork and they're also not very nice to him, which is interesting. It it was so, it it kind of bothered me how rude they were to him um, and almost disrespectful. But then I thought about it. He is a criminal and... It's a very, very interesting time in the galaxy. And I had to remind myself that these heroes, you know, Grief Karga, for example, it wasn't too long ago that he was an agent for the Bounty Hunters Guild. It wasn't too long ago that Mando was a bounty hunter. And being a bounty hunter isn't the most kind profession. I mean, Cara Dune, she was just kind of like a drunk living on a planet after working for the rebels you know these aren't the most upright people and the Mithril did commit a crime against grief specifically and grief being kind of violent and working off it was just very very interesting that relationship and kind of made me uncomfortable um and it's just interesting to see the the dynamics of these people existing in the universe and the demands that they're in um other fun meaningless details that little meerkat thing is actually called a lava meerkat the thing that cara characters finds in the little mandalorian hideout it's been it's been taken over um by the quora in fact you get to see the flames or the lava meerkat actually breathes fire and you can see the flames and like a drawing of it in the credits those amazing end credits designs i love that's like one of my favorite parts but yeah, you get to see it shooting flames. And it's actually why one of the Quora that she fights is face is like singed off. The one that's laying on the ground that it zooms up on. That was a fun detail. And back to the Mithril, actually, I want to jump back to that super quick. When he is first introduced, he's sitting there talking to somebody, communicating with him somehow, when Din and Grief walk in. And it sounds as if he's giving details of the Razor Crest to the authorities and says, like, You know, I think that belongs to. And he's interrupted right as Mandalorian marks in. I think he's giving it to the X-wing pilot that we see later, Car- Captain Carson Tiva. Um, but I just thought it was interesting. You know, I mean, even later, that same X-wing pilot, Captain Tiva, asks about the Razor Crest, and grief is like, I never asked, I never mentioned the Razor Crest. So it's interesting. Um, I don't know why he's giving it out. I don't think it's really important. I just think it's a funny detail. Obviously, not a big deal. Eh, maybe it will be. but I don't think so other funny thing that I loved is that it the mithral mentioned how he still can't see out of his left eye after being in carbonite throwback to return of the Jedi when Han also thrown in carbonite he can't see for a long period of time after being released by Leia just fun detail how they're throwing things in there you know effects of being frozen in carbonite lose your sight I guess other things we're going to get especially into this thing more in hypothesis, but the guys at the desk that like shoot the, they're like trying to destroy their info before they both die. They are both wearing on their clothes, the cloning symbol. And I thought like, man, where have I seen that symbol before? And like, I was like, that's gotta be important that no one else is wearing that. None of these other imperialists are wearing that. And then I thought about Doctor Pershing, who's the guy in the hologram with the glasses, who's part of the first season as well, with the client paid by played by uh, what's his name, uh, um, 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 um. played by Warner Herzog. Um, he's associated with him anyway. He was wearing the symbol, and I also realized that those clones, when we first introduced them in Episode Two, Attack of the Clones, when they're on Kamino, that is the cloning symbol. It's just fun, like to see. People care about such consistency. Even the moments in Star Wars history that aren't regarded as greats or highlights, to still respect what's happened and to like have care to keep it consistent also makes those things better. It's interesting how... I'll get more into this hypothesis, but I love how this is connecting us to Star Wars as a whole. And although I love that it's a story that it's just these people... Especially season one, these people existing in a universe that we love, as these characters are progressing in, into our heroes, I hope it doesn't reach the point of like fate of the galaxy. You know, I, I hope they keep this story small, but nonetheless, it's amazing to see how they're connecting these characters back to everything else in Star Wars. They're introducing them to things in Star Wars, especially the sequel trilogy, and how addressing things in the sequel trilogy elevates. The quality of the sequel trilogy, which is a topic totally unto itself that I will get to eventually. It, it, it's interesting, that relationship, because of the care that's put into The Mandalorian. It creates more value and more appreciation for this other work that didn't have the same level of care to say something small for now until I get to it later. But I do love the sequel trilogy. If you thought I was bashing it, I was. So, speaking of those connections, uh, it's interesting. This imperialist, you know, commitment to, like we saw in the last episode, that, that pilot, that, or captain, the imperialist captain who shot his two pilots and was getting ready to clash, crash into the plane. You know, these spies that they have, Moff Gideon, all these people, these people working on the base, the, these cloning people, um, even the uh, Dr. Pershing, and even Warner Herzog's character, The Client. All these people who are maintaining loyalty to the defeated Empire is really interesting. I think it's going to be how the First Order comes about. Other fun details just connecting some more to stars is a mention of M-Count, which is definitely midichlorians without mentioning midichlorians. And it's interesting now wow, when I heard it this time, it was exciting. Instead of the negativity that comes along with it, even though I don't have a problem with it, just like in the culture of Star Wars. how it, It's interesting how it's turning around. Um, other connections. Cara Dune is from Alderaan. You know, is she related to somebody? Is she related to Leia? Is she like a stepsister or something? Or she just happened to be from Alderaan? Other interesting things, I should have mentioned this earlier, but how these Imperial suits that we are starting to see, like that communications officer towards the end, how it's a really interesting combo of the old Empire's uniforms with the First Order and kind of the blend between the two. Just... The amount of detail that goes into this, I would not think to include in something. Like I would t- just totally forget. But so much care and I notice is is just amazing. Very, very talented people. Other thing that I want to point out, if you want to send your bench points in for of episodes, message me in any format. But uh, Jonathan from the Limelight Highlight podcast, which is an amazing podcast you should check out. Good friend of mine. Um, he mentioned <laughs> to me and he sent me a screenshot of it that there's a crew member who is left in one of the shots when they're going down the corridors behind, I think it's grief carga, at the end of the hall, kind of like where it turns behind one of the corridors. There's, you can see someone in like jeans and a plain t-shirt and like a bracelet crew member. Obviously it's just funny. <laughs> like The most insignificant thing, like behind the scenes, it's fun, but it, I didn't notice it when I was watching it whatsoever. I would have no idea if it wasn't for Jonathan. So that's all the bench points. There's a lot of them that we could mention more, but they're more strongly, especially this episode related to hypothesis of Harrison. So let's just move on to that and just count on all those binge points as we hypothesize. And first, we cannot go any further into the hypothesis without talking about cloning. Obviously, there's a lot going on with cloning. I mentioned how those two guys who are so loyal to shoot up the computer, how Dr. Pershing, all of these people are wearing the clone symbol that we saw on Camino with the original clones. We see the clone floating in the tube. And they're like, well, who's this? And first, let's talk about who the heck is that being in the tank. I think it's Snoke. It looks like Snoke to me. That's what I really believe it is. The small ear, the disformed face, the weird body. I think it's Snoke. Um... It could be the emperor, it could be somebody else insignificant. It should just be a clone. But I, th- I think it's Snoke. I don't think the emperor cloning would be kept in some random base on a random planet, um, where there's a lot of disruption. I think that they, if he was there, he would have been gotten either sooner. But I'm sure they would have just, while they're experimenting with these clones as like a hideout wherever they were stationed, they that they would keep a copy of Snoke makes sense to me. And it looks like him. Makes sense. Um but whatever it is, it's definitely a strand cast. And that's a word that I did not know was already mentioned in the Mandalorian. Uh so what a strand cast is in Star Wars, it's a bioengineered person as part of cloning. Um these individuals, they do have free will. Um but genetic flaws in them are very common because of the amount of, of bioengineering that goes into them. Now, like I mentioned, this is actually already a part of Mandalorian in season one. I don't remember what episode, but Queel, the guy who says, I have spoken, that guy who we all love who sadly died, him, when he is talking to Din about the child at the very beginning, they're discussing the origins of it and Din says, oh, I think it's a strand cast and then Quill says, oh, I worked in the genetic, farm, I think he said. And he doesn't believe that it is. So gene experiments we all know are a part of Star Wars history, but it's interesting that it was a part of Mandalorian from the very beginning, which just flew over my head the first time. And preparing these podcasts, I'm learning a lot about this expanded universe of Star Wars, but it was just a lot of fun. But I wonder if the direction they're going was the plan all along from season one. I mean, obviously, they're John Favreau is smart in the way he's able to plan. I just wonder how much of the plan they knew from the beginning. It's just amazing to see the continuity of it all. It's pretty impressive. But other interesting details I learned about Strandcasts, and then we're going to kind of tie this all together at the end, and how it has to do with cloning. Another example of a strand cast, which I did not know, and it kind of fixes some problems I had. So, apparently... Oh, no. No. I'm going to save that thought for when I actually get to the sequel trilogy and just mention the facts as they are. Ray's father, who's apparently you could say a son in air quotes of Emperor Palpatine, Darth Sidious, he is a strand cast, father. In essence, they took the template of Darth Sidious and cloned him, attempting to preserve a life form that the being of Darth Sidious could go into like we kind of saw involved in the plot in episode nine. Well, he was alive. He has free will, like I mentioned, but he doesn't have the force. He, the, the force capabilities were not extended to him, but he was allowed to live for the purpose of the, you know, carrying on the bloodline of Palpatine. And he eventually birthed Ray, who was force sensitive and he escaped with Rey, trying to preserve her. We know that whole story. We'll get to that. When we get to that, whenever I get to star Wars, So, yeah, he is a strandcast. I didn't know that. Um, Snoke, I already mentioned that. He's a strandcast, also created by the Emperor as a puppet to make way for his coming forth. So, strandcast. Didn't know that. Um, But, yeah, the chances of having a genetic flaw uh, are common. Now, speaking of strandcasting and cloning a force-sensitive human being, When that happens, if you look at the Force, no, not the Force Awakens. I always say that the Force Unleashed, two, which is an amazing game, which isn't canon technically. It, when you try and clone a force-sensitive being, there's a lot of problems. The host can die. The force-sensitive being, or or the clone, is either not force-sensitive or has horrible genetic mutations and doesn't live very long. Um, so it's a problem. Trying to create more force-sensitive beings for your dark side isn't going to go really well. So they're kind of going another route of trying to inject the force through blood and midichlorians into people. We heard this mentioned by Doctor Pershing, and it's actually happened earlier in Jedi history or Star Wars history with Jedi Master Sif- Sifo Dyas, who, as we know, started the clones on Kamino. Nonetheless, him and Duku had a relationship together. He died. Duku took his body and tried to use his force blood to inject into General Grievous when General Grievous was becoming General Grievous, a cyborg. It didn't work. Uh, He didn't gain any force sensitivity, but it's been tried. And it's interesting how this Dr. Pershing is talking about how they've run out of blood, they're not going to find a higher M count, and if they continue to do this, the volunteer can reach may have the same regrettable fate. Okay, I assume that's dying or something perishing. But who's the volunteer? Are they talking about Palpatine? Are they talking about Snoke? Or are they talking about somebody else who literally volunteered? um, But reaching the same regrettable fate, who is this other being who has already reached this fate? Whatever it is, I'm going to assume it's death, destruction, perishing of some kind. There's so much mystery wrapped up in that phrase that obviously we're going to get some type of answer to, I hope. In some way, we've got four more episodes left. I mean, actually, I may double check is it four Is it four? Is it four? Oh my gosh, I think it's almost oh. We only have four episodes. We're halfway. I did not realize, oh my gosh, that's so sad. Uh, this is going so fast. Wow, OK, get to that statement in a second later. Um, but it's also interesting how they did get the blood from Baby Yoda in season one or episode 1 before din saved him or episode 2 I think it was I don't know season 1 at the very beginning he saved him from having all his blood like ex- extracted from himself so obviously this thought this this cloning blood infusion force sensitivity idea which really leads into the sequel trilogy specifically episode 9 and kind of elevating that and and improving that it's really interesting, but I also hope that it doesn't veer too much into the focus of the sequel trilogy and allows it to be its own separate thing. I also hope that they're able to maintain the smallness of the story. I love the idea of these people existing in the universe that we love and they, them experiencing it. It's a very, very interesting time in the galaxy, like we've been mentioning. When we're going to get to that again, we're going to get to all of these things, I promise. I have notes. Don't worry. Um, so yeah. Obviously, there's some stuff going on with the force, force injection, force sensitivity, trying to transfer people, cloning, and how all those things are connected. It's very, very interesting. I think that was Snoke in there. We learned about what a strand cast was and how injecting the force is a very, very difficult thing as they saw, but it's something that they're trying. and who are they trying to inject it into? Are they trying to I don't think it's palpatine they're injecting it into, or maybe they're just trying to save him? Who knows so Let's move on to the other thing that was dropped. Dark Troopers at the end of the episode. Now, we know there's been some discussion, some debate about what they actually are. They are Dark Troopers. It's confirmed. If you turn on the audio description on Disney+, Plus, I'm not the first person to point this out. It describes them as Dark Troopers, which literally could just be like laziness saying they are dark, like an adjective. Troopers, not the noun dark troopers. I'm not sure which one it is. I'm pretty sure it's the noun dark troopers, but it could be adjective dark. I just barely thought of that. I'm a genius. <laughs> uh, but dark troopers did a lot of research on those. They don't really exist in canon. They're something from legends, which Dave Filoni and John Favreau have really been pulling from in a very respectful way and making Star Wars really fun. Um, but so there's kind of two different types. And ideas of what these dark troopers could be. I have my ideas what I'm leaning towards, which makes sense with the series and how it's been going so far. Um, but there's others as well. So the first is that it's a battle droid designed during the time of the Empire, similar to the super during the Empire, similar to the super battle droids used by the Separatists. Um, the final version, in fact, and there was only one, was an exoskeleton that could exist as a droid and function on its own, but it could also be worn by a trooper of some ty- type as a strong exoskeleton with advanced weaponry. Um, now, Purge Troopers, which are from the Star Wars Uprising game, which, I, according to my research, is canon, um, has similar armor to the design of those dark trooper droids and that an exoskeleton. So, obviously, there's some history of this idea going on. Um, and that would kind of make sense why they're lined up and not active in these, this little corridor thing. They're cells, if you will. That makes a more sense than like human beings sitting there, just sitting there. But that leads into the other idea of what a dark trooper could be. And that's a force-sensitive stormtrooper. This idea is actually a lot closer to a shadow trooper from the game Jedi Knight. Two Jedi outcast which is not canon is legends um, but in essence what they were is they were elite stormtroopers given training with the dark side and they had force sensitivity injected into them through a totally different means that you can look up I forget the name of it I think it's called an arucanite or arugula arugula crystal or A-R-U something crystal I, the, my, the name escaped my head but you can look it up it wasn't with blood and they had red lightsabers and they were trained with force sensitivity and very, very elite forces. That's what I think it is. That makes sense with what they're talking about, trying to inject force sensitivity. I think Moff Gideon, his obsession with the dark saber, I think he's trying to create a, an interesting combination similar to Mandalorians, but with force sensitivity. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to lean too much into the Mandalorian idea, but in essence, elite killing warriors similar to a Mandalorian with a unique type of armor similar to that the Dark, the dark Troopers, but with Force sensitivity. I, I think it's the Force sensitivity thing. And obviously he's got big plans for it. I also just think that'd be cool because of something I'm going to mention in a minute and I'll tell you. Actually, I'll just tell you now. We know that Mando on his, his ship has the Razor Crest has a tracking beacon he is going to Corvus with Ahsoka when he gets there is Moff Gideon in his command cruiser going to show up with his dark troopers do you know how awesome it would be to see a fight between the dark saber and Ahsoka's white lightsabers that would be Amazing. That'd be an amazing, amazing introduction to live action Ahsoka. But if you throw in some dark troopers in there that are force sensitive with red lightsabers, that's pretty sweet. I hope that happens. So that's why I'm really, really into the force sensitive, you know, kind of shadow trooper idea. It could be either one, though. I think it's that one. Let's talk about some other things. As the episode was wrapping up, there was so much packed into this episode. The Captain Tiva, the X Wing pilot, he's back. And he's worried about something happening in the galaxy in the Outer Rim. The new era, as a communications officer called it. And we see how loyal these people are to the Empire. Even last episode we saw it. They weren't on the Death Star that blew up. You know, that blew up. Darth Vader's dead. Darth Sidious is dead. Their leader vanished. and. They've been destroyed by the rebel forces. These rebel forces are starting this new republic in kind of the inner planets. But out in the outer rim, strange things are happening. I mean, we got command cruisers just flying around. Nobody's doing anything. You know, the, the, in the outer rim where these... New Republic soldiers like Captain Tiva are obviously stressed very thin. They're a little lenient towards things. It's hard to control everything, especially when you have people, so many people that I could mention. The client played by Warner Herzog, Dr. Pershing, the Imperial captain who was willing to crash his ship, Moff Gideon, all the people who were on this command ship that we saw, all the stormtroopers who are still left alive. The list goes on and on. People that we probably haven't even seen who are still loyal to the empire that loyalty doesn't end when they're overthrown. I mean, maybe some of them, but not all of them. Obviously there's still people who are loyal to that ideology that the, the galaxy is theirs or that the empire is a good thing. Like the client played by Werner Herzog. They don't, they're, there's clearly they've got a communication system. They've got networking. And they're planning something big. They're planning a new era. Of course, it's going to happen in the Outer Rim where everything always sketchy happens. I mean, the clones originated in the Outer Rim. Outside the wishing maze. or Whatever the quote is. I don't know why I said that. Um, You know, the Empire's fallen. The New Republic's grown, but in the Outer Rim, crazy things always happen. You could say it's the Wild West out there. No wonder we have this, this cowboy western feel to the Mandalorian. It, it is a Wild West out there. People are just trying to survive. Um, so what's going to happen? Obviously, this is clear how the First Order is going to come about. And that makes sense that Snoke's involved. So you can really... I mean, unless they're going to take like some left turn somewhere, you can really see how this is leaning into the sequel trilogy and or how much they're going to connect that. Um, I already talked about Ahsoka. I want to see her fight Moff getting with his dark saber, with Ahsoka with her white sabers. That'd be sweet. Um, but I'm curious what's going to happen. Obviously, I really think it's next episode that where Dave Haunt Filoni is directing. Stoked for that. What's going to happen when Mando gives the child back? Is he going to be like, peace out, I'm done? You know, and not care anymore? I wonder the level of care that he has for the child. Is it just care for a human being that that's not intimate that's not loving it's just protection for a child who's innocent caring for an innocent human being is or not a human being an innocent <laughs> being that's being taken advantage of or is it just because he's been quested or is he really feeling a little bit fatherly obviously you can tell he's a little bit annoyed with a child he cares for his safety but i wonder to what extent it is and and if he's going to be able to easily part with him Or if he's going to, you know, raise him as a four sons of Mandalorian, which actually that idea just popped into my head. That would be sweet because he's been eating a lot. Again, this episode of focus on baby Yoda wanting to eat, he's growing. Is he going to grow, become a miniature Yoda Mandalorian that's a Jedi? That'd be sweet. And he can have the (laughs) Darksaber. Maybe that's a stretch, but that actually sounds sweet. And I also just barely came up with that. But really it's focus on him eating again. He, there's something, unless it's just a recurring joke that they think is funny because it was actually adorable when he stole the cookies. I think something's happening. Something's happening with a new era rising up to the First Order. Something's happening with Dark Troopers. Something's happening with cloning and Force sensitivity and blood transfusion involving that. Something's happening with Snoke. Obviously, Moff Gideon, he's got his dastardly plans. And what the heck is going to happen with Baby Yoda? But also, what the heck is going to happen with Boba Fett? I totally forgot that he was at the end of season one, or at least what we believe is him. Unless it's Rex, but I really don't think it would be Rex. I think a Rex would be with Ahsoka in some way, some capacity. What's going on? With, like this, this season's so jam packed with good things really great storytelling that they're able to fit so much in here without ever feeling bloated or overwhelming. Uh, but it is moving fast. And I love and hate these short episodes. But what's going on with Boba Fett? Is he just a red herring? Is nothing going to happen with him? We just throw us in there to get us excited? And then it throws for another loop? or Is he going to show up again? I don't know. Is he going back to Tatooine? Are we done? I don't know. Where's his armor? We haven't seen Boba Fett's armor in a while, actually, now that I think about it. And Din has it. I don't know. So much potential that could be explored. And we've got four episodes. And if they're all 35 minutes, that's going to be really sad. I hope that they give Dave Filoni an hour to get Ahsoka. And at one point, before the end of the season, we have Moff Gideon with his Darksaber this Ahsoka with some Whitesabers. And you want to make it even better, throw in some Dark Troopers that are Force-sensitive with red lightsabers in there. That would be sweet. But that's the end of the Mano Mini. It's very, very late. I'm exhausted. I've got to go to bed. I'm going to throw this edit up super quick and upload it. But I appreciate you listening. Uh, these Mano Minis have been a ton of fun. I appreciate the response. Leave reviews. Email me. Connect on social media. All those super, super fun things. These episodes are a ton of fun. I appreciate everyone who has reached out. Uh, appreciate the guys reception i had no idea that this was going to you know be as fun for me as it was there's a lot to explain about star wars there's a lot to research there's a lot going on with some clones though i think it's snoke maybe it's a bigger deal i don't know that's all for now i'm so brain dead i'm so tired but thanks for listening that's all for now ciao, ciao.